All right, good stuff. Reckless, how are we doing tonight? Yell at me. All right, pretty good. That's a pretty good yell. Man, it's so good to see you guys tonight. We are beginning a brand new series that I am incredibly excited about called Goat. <laughs> Thank you for the goat noises. That was, that was perfect and on cue. So this is not a tribute to the senior class and the Golden Goats, who just lost that game, by the way. Go freshmen. Freshman all of a sudden might be, at least is in second, I think, or at least is scratching, knocking on the door, scratching on the door, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing with the door. So it is not a tribute to the Golden Goats, senior class, right over here, uh, or, or the barnyard animal or whatever. You guys all know what GOAT stands for. It stands for the greatest of all time, the greatest of all time. So we live in a culture where we are constantly looking to crown the greatest in whatever area we may be talking about. For example, it has been, I guess, commonly known now or agreed on, or the consensus is that we now have a new goat when it comes to football, and that is Tom Brady. And I'm not saying I agree with that or like that, And we got some Tom Brady lovers and haters in the room. So you may disagree with that, but it seems like the pendulum is swinging more towards that idea and that belief that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, one of those things that is not debatable is who is the GOAT in basketball. And it is not LeBron. It is not Kobe. It is not whoever else, Dennis Schroeder or whatever, all right? It is and will always be Michael Jordan. Just ask me, I will tell you, okay? That is the GOAT in basketball, no debate. So he's a basketball. Some historians or a lot of historians now are, are believing and have done different surveys and things like that where they're believing that the greatest president in U.S. history is Abraham Lincoln, All right, you got Franklin Roosevelt, you got some other guys that are up there, but it is commonly believed that Abraham Lincoln is the greatest U.S. president in history. Tupac is believed to be the GOAT in terms of rappers. California knows how to party. That's literally the only Tupac song I know, and I apologize if I've just offended you in the room. So they're saying he is the greatest rapper of all time. Now, it is, it is commonly known and understood. It is a no-brainer who the greatest musicians are of all time. All right? It is no debate. <laughs> Mainly based on their newest single, It's Going Down. Because <laughs> it is going down. Like a, like a flight crashing and burning. It is going down. So that's the goat in, in terms of musicians, right? So whatever it is, we can go on and on. So we have all of these different goats, people that we believe, and whatever, whoever you believe is the greatest of all time in whatever area you may believe, all right, or may focus on, we want to be in the presence of greatness. 
So we want to put ourselves, if we, if we were able to have a sit-down conversation with who we would consider the greatest of all time in whatever area, like it would be a life-changing moment. And so even us following them on social media or we try to emulate them in whatever area that we can in whatever ways that we're able to, we even potentially may worship them because of who they are, who we believe them to be. But we're not talking about any of these people as part of this series, right? We're not talking about who is the greatest of all time in a particular area. We're talking about who is the greatest of all time in all things. So we're looking at the life of Jesus, characteristics of who Jesus is that make him the greatest of all time, that make God who he is. And really, when you boil it down and you compare that, there really is no comparison to being in the presence of one of the greatest humans and being in the presence of a great God. Now, tonight we're going to look at kind of this first characteristic, this first attribute that really is nobody else possesses. You won't find this anywhere else in anyone else, not even the goats that I mentioned just a minute ago, possess this characteristic. So as great as Tom Brady may be, and that's debatable or whatever, but the guy won, what, five Super Bowls? But as great as he is, he also lost three Super Bowls. As great as Michael Jordan was as a basketball player, he still shot less than 50% over the course of his career. As great as of a president as Abraham Lincoln was, he still lost two Senate races before he ever became president and certainly didn't make every decision that was perfect when he was president. Tupac definitely didn't live a life that was worth emulating and maybe wrote about and rapped about and lived his life in some questionable ways that may have even led to ultimately his death. And champions in North Korea right? And they may never get out. So as great as they are, who knows what the future holds for them? It's debatable. It's up in the air, right? My point is for all of those people and every human in history, even including us, there is one thing that all of us share in common and that's, we are all imperfect. We are all imperfect. So we make poor decisions at times. We have areas of weakness, moments where we fail. We have moments of doubt. And all of us who have ever existed as a human on this planet have areas of sin and brokenness. Paul in, in uh, Romans 3 verse 10, he says that, that no one is righteous, not even one. There is no one that is, in, that is completely perfect. All of us have imperfections. All of us have weaknesses and areas of sin. Now you contrast that verse and what Paul says in Romans 3 with what is said about God in 1 John 1 verse 5. Here's what it says. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. There is no darkness in him at all. In other words, the first characteristic of who God is as the greatest of all time is he is perfect. God is perfect. Now I want you, do not miss 
Like, I want you to kind of, to the best of your ability, wrap your brain and your mind about, around what I'm about to say. What it means, the fact that God is perfect. So because God is perfect, it means that it is his nature. It is who he is. It's not something that he's worked hard to become. He has always been and will always be perfect. And because God is perfect in his character, he is also perfect in everything that he does. He's perfect in his plans. He's perfect in his decisions. He's perfect in his timing. He's perfect in his actions. And he's perfect in his love. Now, to take it a step further, to really kind of understand how different God is to how we are. Because he is perfect, it means that he is without any imperfections. So it means that God cannot sin. He cannot make an error or a mistake. He never has a lapse in judgment. He never loses focus. He doesn't ever forget an answer to a question. He doesn't fail to see anything that takes place in all of his creation. He never makes a promise that he fails to follow through on. God is incapable of being anything less than perfect. Now, as you're just kind of thinking about the weight of that and the reality of that and what that means, I want to give you the, the main point kind of right up here at the front. And then we're going to talk through that. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to write it down. And even this be something that you put somewhere where you can see, that you can be reminded of, that you can even this week be thinking through what this means, not just for God and who he is, but what it means for you. So here's the main point. God is perfect in his character, which means he is perfect in his promises, his plans, and his actions. He is perfect in his character, which means he's perfect in his promises, his plans, and his actions. Now, this is of incredible importance for us to be able to understand. And I wonder how many of us struggle because we believe in God's love and we believe in God's forgiveness. And maybe there's moments where we doubt that or we question that. But I think to maybe to a certain extent, like we believe in those things. But there are moments where we question God's perfection. I think if we're honest, there are a lot of us, maybe all of us that have had moments, maybe even large periods of time where we feel like God has missed something, that God has erred in some way, that God has made a mistake, that God has not fallen through or, or following up and, and come through on a promise that he's made. To whatever extent, I think there are moments where we go, man, God, are you really perfect? And so because God is perfect, let's, let's kind of unpack that for just a few minutes. So the first thing is he is perfect in his character. Here's what this means. There is no darkness in him at all. 
So his perfection and his holiness are who he is. He is incapable of being anything else other than perfect because of his character. Now, I was trying to think through a little bit this week of how I could kind of compare that or whatever, and this is the best I could come up with. All right, so follow me here. So I am, I am a man, right? Insert joke here, whatever. These genes may cause you to question that or whatever. All right, but for all intents and purposes, I'm a man, all right? So I am incapable of understanding what it looks like or what it feels like or what it means to be a woman, okay? Now, I live with a couple of them, and I love them dearly, and they're a huge part of my life, and I try to understand them, and I try to empathize with them, and I try to learn from them, and all of those things, right? And how God made them, and everything that makes a woman a woman, right? All right, and I, so I have two, because I have two of them in my family, I try to understand a little bit more about women, right? But I will never, no matter how much I try to empathize and understand and all of that, it is not in my nature to be able to understand and act like a woman, right? It just isn't possible. Now, to a certain extent, that paints a little bit of a picture of what it means for God to be perfect. And, and don't fill in the blanks of saying that I'm saying men are perfect and women are imperfect, all right? I'm not saying that, all right? So don't put those words in my mouth. But what I'm saying is, is that God is in his nature, he is perfect. And so God empathizes with us in our weaknesses. God sees our failures. God hurts alongside of us in those moments where we fall short. And God cares about that and even... In Hebrews, it talks about when Jesus was walking on the earth, that he understood our weaknesses, that he faced some of those same temptations, but yet he was without sin. So even the human side understood what it felt like to be tempted and, and what it felt like to, to go through moments and, and, and those kind of things. And yet because of who he was as God, he was incapable of actually sinning. And so even though God sees our weaknesses and God empathizes with us and God cares in moments of failure or moments of doubt, those things are not a part of God's character. God can't act like that because it's not in his nature to do so. That's what it means for God in his character to be perfect. I love what Revelation 4 verse 8, the second part of that verse says, and this is a picture of what it's like in heaven where there are beings and creatures and, and people that are surrounding the throne in heaven, surrounding God. And this is what they're saying in verse eight. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is to come. So day and night, the picture of heaven that there are people surrounding God and at all times, what they are saying to God is, God, you are perfect. You are perfect. You are perfect. You have always been perfect. You are perfect now and you will always be perfect. That's the picture of what is being said about God day and night. 
They are responding to who God is and his character of being perfect. And so what that means for us is that that everything rises and falls on that. That is the beginning and the end. That impacts every single thing. And so God can't make perfect plans if he's not perfect. His promises can't be perfect if they aren't made by someone who's perfect. And his actions cannot be flawless if an imperfect God is making them. But because God is perfect in his character, he's also perfect in his plans. God is perfect in his plans. Here's what that means. It means that he has a plan for creation, for everything that he has made. From the very beginning, before time ever existed, God had a plan in place for all of creation. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. And it's not a decent plan. It's not a plan that we look at and go, man, God, I, I like your kind of your five-point plan here, but four is like a little bit iffy. I'm not sure if that's really going to work out right. Right? There is no part of that that's even the slightest bit imperfect. So God's plan for all of creation is perfect. God's plan for your life in every single way is perfect. God's plan for my life is perfect. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a verse that a lot of you guys are familiar with. And it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And all of God's plans, the end purpose and goal is to bring him glory. And for us to ultimately bring him glory, to be made like him in order to bring him glory. Now, there may at this point be a little bit of tension in the room. And maybe the question that's popped into your head is the question I'm about to ask. If God's plans are so perfect, then why is there so much imperfection in the world? If God created creation and God's plans are perfect and he's the perfect creator and God has a perfect plan for you and for me, then why is there so much imperfection in the world? Why did he create the world imperfect? Now, first of all, the, the Bible says that God did not create the world imperfect. In fact, in Genesis 1, when God created the world and spoke it into existence, at the end, he looks at all of creation, everything that he has made, and he said that it was good, that it was perfect. So then how did sin get into the picture? How is this world so chaotic? How is this world so messed up? So God did not create sin, nor did God cause sin to happen. All right, and if that was the case, then we could look and say, well, God couldn't be perfect if that was, if that was possible. If God created sin, then God couldn't be perfect. So God did not create sin. God did not cause sin to happen. God doesn't look at sin in any way and, and it bring pleasure to him. God has nothing but hatred towards sin. And so in a world that is so chaotic, God looks at the sin in the world and he hates it. 
But sin entered into the world even before Adam and Eve in the garden. That's how it entered into our world. That's how we came about with a sin nature. But sin actually entered the picture before then. And somewhere in between when God created the world and it was perfect in Genesis 1, there's passages in the Bible that talk about how Satan and now what we know as his demons, actually who were created good, that Satan was known as the angel of light, that he was created and put in charge of a lot of heaven. But he decided to rebel against God. He decided to turn his back on God, ultimately decided that he wanted to do things his own way. He wanted to replace God. And so because he and then other angels followed suit, then God actually cast them out of heaven. And that's where sin originated from. And so that's, it was Satan that actually led to Adam and Eve making the decision in the garden to do the exact same thing that Satan did to rebel against God, to turn their back on God, to choose to go a different way, which ultimately is what sin leads to. When we choose to turn our back on God, rebel against God and away from his perfect plans. But here's how perfect God's plans are. That even in the midst of sin, even when sin entered the picture, even when it messed things up, that God can use sin and brokenness in the world to bring about good, to bring hope and healing, that sin doesn't stop him from his plans and his purposes, that he can still and does choose to use that sin to accomplish now his perfect plans. So not only is he perfect in his plans, but the next thing is he is perfect in his promises. So in order to help us understand his plans and his character, God gives us promises. And these promises aren't perfect in what they are, or these, perfect, these promises are perfect in what they are and how they help us. Because at times, let's be honest, we don't always understand God's plans. We don't always remember what God's character is. We sometimes forget what God is up to or we can't really see or make sense of what it is that God's doing. And especially now that sin entered the picture, we look at this and we're trying to understand things through a, a picture that has been tainted by sin. And so we're looking and we're trying to make sense of things and we're not always able to do that. And so in those moments, God gives us his promises to remind us of who he is and what his plans are for us. Here's what Psalm 18, 30 and 31 says. The psalmist says, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock. And so it reminds us to keep our eyes fixed on our creator, to keep our eyes fixed on our God, to remind us that all of God's promises will be proven true. That God is faithful, that God does love us, that God does have a plan and purpose for our life. 
that there is no condemnation or judgment for those of us who have a relationship with God. That if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. That God can take the brokenness of the world and God can bring about redemption. And all of those promises that God gives us are an anchor for us when we can't always understand his plans. He's also, finally, he's perfect in his actions. He's perfect in his actions. So not only is God perfect in his character and he makes plans and promises that are perfect, but he's also perfect in the execution of those plans. So every single action that God takes is perfect. Here's what Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says. It says, God is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. So he is perfect in the action that he takes. He is even perfect in the timing in which he takes those actions. And sometimes even we struggle with that because we feel like, God, why don't you take action now? Why don't you do something about this situation right now? Why aren't you taking action? But God doesn't follow our deadlines. And God's timing isn't our timing. And even though we may feel like our timing is perfect and when God should take action is perfect, God's timing and action of when he actually responds is perfect because of who he is. Now, to take this a step further, God is so perfect in his actions that he also must judge imperfection. So he is so perfect that God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. If God, if God chose to allow sin to go unpunished, then that would be an imperfect decision on his part because of his holiness. And so sin had to be judged. Sin had to be dealt with. And so God ultimately had two options. Either God could allow us to pay the penalty for our sin, which he would be completely justified in doing so, or God could step in and take our place. And so that's exactly what God does. So here's what blows me away. When we understand God's perfection and our imperfection, it paints the picture, it paints the cross in a whole new light. We understand the power of it and how incredible it is to a different extent. Because I want you to think about what this means. Because a perfect God who is in heaven, who created things that are perfect, and God looks at what happened with sin, and God could choose to allow sin to go punished, and which means that you and I have got to pay the penalty for that. But a perfect God chose to do something and be, even become something that was the antithesis of who he is. He chose to do something repulsive. 
he chose to do something that was completely offensive to who his character actually was. A perfect God who knew no sin stepped into our, per, our imperfect world and he took on our imperfections. Rather than allowing us to deal with our mess on our own, God became flesh and he took on our imperfections. So a perfect God took on our imperfections. A holy God took on our sin. A God that's full of light became and took on our darkness. A whole and complete God took on all of our brokenness. Jesus came into our mess and he was even perfect in that. He lived a perfect life and he was the perfect sacrifice for your sins and for mine. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it perfectly. It says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So a perfect God stepping into our imperfection and taking on those imperfections and those sins, here's the thing, is only part of the story. Because not only did God take on our imperfections and pay the penalty that you and I deserved, but what God did then next is what blows me away and what makes me so amazed that God loves us the way that he does. Is that in exchange for taking on our imperfection, what God actually does is then he gives us back his righteousness. In other words, he gives us his perfection. Now think about the weight of that. If you've never understood the gospel to this extent, this is 100% the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And it is known as the great exchange that a perfect God took our imperfections from us on the cross. And in return for that, he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his perfection. And for any of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, we are no longer looked at by God, by our imperfections, by our brokenness, by our sin, by all of the things that used to separate us from a holy God and a perfect God. But now because of what Jesus has done, he's taken our imperfections and now he has placed his righteousness and his perfection on us. And he now looks at us as holy and blameless in his sight. Now you tell me what could possibly be greater news than that. What could be more powerful or more life-changing than that? What could be a greater demonstration of the insane love of God for us than that? God is perfect in his character which means he is perfect in his plans, his promises, and his actions. As we close tonight, I want to just kind of throw out a, a question to you that I want you to, to wrestle with over the next few minutes. What's the result 
when we believe that God is anything less than perfect, what's the result of that? The result is fear. All of a sudden, we start becoming fearful about our imperfections and this imperfect world that we live in and feeling like there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to hope for. There's nothing that can save us from this mess that we're in. And we flip on the news and we see a school shooting or we hear about a potential school shooting that has run rampant through our community over the last couple of weeks. And it causes fear. We start fearing whether or not we have what it takes. We start fearing because now we feel like, man, I've just got to, I've got to try harder. Or, man, do I, do I really, am I really going to measure up? Can I really handle things on my own? We think about all of the, just the amount of struggle that maybe we've buried deep within our own heart and our soul. And all of a sudden, those things start rising to the surface and we become fully aware of the weight of those things. When we believe in anything less than a perfect God, the result of that is fear. And here's the thing. What we need is not for Washington to get his act together and to change laws, although that could be a part of the the solution. I'm not discrediting that. It doesn't mean that... We need to load up with more medications, although that could be necessary based on on some of the struggles that you may be dealing with. What needs to happen is not for us to just try to man up and say, all right, it's up to me. I've just got to try harder. I've got to work my way through this. I've, I've got to do my best. And if I just exert every ounce of strength and energy that I possibly can, can muster up, then I'll be all right. Because we know the level of our imperfections and our struggles. No, what we need is to be able to set our sights on a perfect God. On a perfect God who is perfect in his character. Who is perfect in his plans. Who is perfect in his promises. And who we are trusting and believing will carry all of those plans to perfection. And he will bring about redemption. And we can hope in who he is. And we don't have to give way to fear because we know that God is with us and for us. And we know and can believe and trust how the story ends. So here's what I want to do as we close. And I want... Everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you've never come to a a place in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And maybe that's been the barrier for you. Maybe you believe God loves you or believe that God could forgive you. But then you go, man, can I really put my hope and faith and trust in a God that I'm not really sure is completely perfect? And I promise you that you can. And that tonight Jesus is offering salvation to you. And if you will admit your brokenness and your imperfections, 
to a perfect God who already knows all about those imperfections. So much so that he was willing to step into the middle of those and put those imperfections on himself. And to know that you can't earn anything back from God, but God is offering freely his righteousness and his forgiveness if you'll just ask him. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, then maybe you want to do that right now. Just as simple as asking God to forgive you, asking God to make you new and to give, take on your sin and to give you his righteousness. Maybe there's fear in your life tonight. Maybe you've walked in carrying all kinds of fear. Maybe you fear going to school. You fear what your family looks like. You fear what your future looks like. You fear, fear what decisions you've got to make over the next few years. Maybe you fear all of those struggles and all those weaknesses that you experience. And you get an opportunity to place those things on a perfect God who knows them and who can handle them. And who can, in, in replacement of those fears, can give you peace and his presence of knowing that he is with you that he is for you, that he has plans that are for your good, that bring about hope and a future. That God can redeem any struggle and give you victory over any of that. That God can heal whatever brokenness you may experience in your life or in your family. And that you can walk through life not fearful, but with trust and hope in a God who is perfect. So I'm just going to give you a space as Michael plays just for a minute, just to talk to God about whatever it is that you need to talk to him about and lay on him. Just do that over the next minute. God, there are so many burdens. There are so many things that we carry around every single day. Our struggles, knowledge of our imperfections, knowledge of all those areas in which we don't measure up. And God, even in moments and situations where we feel like, no, I've got it taken care of. God, I think the reality for all of us is we know full well that we can't handle it on our own. None of us can. God, there is so much fear that's in the room. There is so much brokenness that we experience. And the hope for us is not to try harder. The hope is for us to set our sights on you. And so God, you invite us, cast your cares those things that weigh us down, those things that, that push us away from you.
to bring those things to you, to cast them, in other words, to throw them off onto you, to allow you to carry those things for us. God, what an amazing picture that in your perfection, in your character and who you are, that there is no hint or trace of darkness at all. You don't even know what it's like to fail. And how difficult that is for us to understand because we fail all the time. God, what an amazing opportunity you've given us not to put our hope in our plans, but to put our hope and trust in your perfect plans. Not to trust in our character, but to look to yours. Not to trust in promises that we will break, but to trust in your promises that will all come to fruition. And not to depend on our actions that we may be successful, but in a lot of cases we're going to mess things up. But to trust in your perfect actions and in the timing and the execution of that. God, I pray that you would give us a clear picture of who you are. God, I pray for students in the room tonight who have never understood the power and the message of the gospel. And they have never taken that step and trusted you as their Savior. God, I pray that tonight that they would do that. That you would allow them to see who you are and their need for you. And tonight before they leave, that they would put their faith and trust in you as Savior. God, that you would as a perfect God would step into our imperfections and take those on yourself. And then in turn, when we trust you, give us your righteousness that can never be taken away. God, what an amazing thought. What an amazing truth. God, I pray that that truth would change us because you are the greatest of all time. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.